It's a joy to welcome you once again to a time when we can gather in the presence of a God enthroned on high. We may be weary, but He is not. We may be confused, but He is not. We may be worried, but He is not. Our great God loves us. He is in charge through the work of the cross. He has the rights to His creation. And we are going to rejoice in His sovereign goodness today in this hour together. The call to repentance remains loud and clear. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The answer to all of our needs today is in a great God who loves us and has sent his son Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins and to give to us all the hope, the wonderful hope, the joyful perspective hope of eternal life. So it's our privilege to gather together in that name exalted above every other name, the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have the privilege today to exalt his name. Scripture for today is out of Isaiah 40. We've read recently out of this particular chapter, uh, but because, uh, because of uh, some, some more fear and terror as far as the virus is concerned, because of the political unrest in the day, we need to understand that the Democrats are not in charge, the Republicans are not in charge, God is in charge. And uh, so we want to take our text today out of Isaiah 40, And uh, there is a special verse in here. Uh, King James says, He sitteth on the circle of the earth. The New American Standard has a variant reading on that. He is enthroned upon the vault of the earth. A tremendous graphic of the power of God over everything that transpires on planet earth. And so I've asked Pastor Pelletier to read that for us today. Uh, We're reading this out of Isaiah chapter 40. And you and I, listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. This is talking about the God who's not confused. He's, he's not lacking of any information. He's not lacking of any power. He's not lacking of love and redemptive power toward his people. Listen carefully, please, as Pastor Pelletier reads the scripture. We're in Isaiah chapter 40, and beginning in verse 12, we'll read to the end of the chapter. Isaiah 40, 12 to 31. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and measured the heavens with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth with a measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him in knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol... A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. 
He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, or is enthroned above the vault of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither, and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Raise your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who brings out their multitude by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, Jacob, and you assert, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives strength to the weary, and to the one who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. May God bless the reading of his word. I've been tempted today to make some comments on what's going on in the nation, but I have decided that the picture that you and I are getting is so distorted and so lacking in truth that it's really hardly possible to make a comment on it. The only truth that is reliable that we have in the day in which we live really is the Word of God. It has got to be our point of reference. It has got to be our anchor. It's got to be our, that to which we go in order to find out who we are and where we are going. And I intend over the next several, several Sundays to give you messages on how to live and minister in an aggressively pagan age. We are living in an aggressively pagan age. I said the information we have is totally unreliable. Someone asked me, how do I know what's going on? You, you read what's on the media, you read what's on the internet. It's all so variant. People have not done their homework. Factuality is nothing today. It's feeling. It's how I see things. Truth is what I perceive and what I think. That really does not constitute truth. And so we are living in an aggressively pagan age. We are going to find in the next months that, that there is going to be an elimination of religious freedoms through the government of the United States. Our chaplains in the military are going to go back to where they are told they cannot pray anymore in Jesus' name. They cannot teach anymore about biblical morality as far as homosexual marriage is concerned. They cannot represent biblical truth in the military anymore. This is where we were four years ago. We're going back there now. So we're heading back into really a more aggressive effort to purge, to purge Jesus Christ out 
of the life of the United States of America. That is the public life. And, and so uh, it's going to be, these are going to be very interesting days as we move along. May I remind you that purging Jesus Christ out is purging God out. You can't purge Jesus Christ out without purging God out. You can't take Christ out of Christmas without taking God out. See, that's not possible. He is God. He is the creator, okay? He is the judge. He, he is all of these things. So these things are coming. How, how are, what are we going to do? And may I say, for the Apostle Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, we've got to, we must remember that. We must remember that. I'm so glad that Pastor Pelletier read again from Isaiah 40. He's the God who's not tired. He's not weary. He's not confused. And let me get on to the sermon because there are tremendous scriptures that we'll get to. And I hope you have your outline. If you don't, get it. Get it because the scriptures we're going to, uh, we're going to cover are tremendously important in this message. How to live and minister in an aggressively pagan age. Now, before I do that, I have a commercial. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do anything without a commercial. Uh, the last issue of Frontline magazine arrived at my desk this last week. And I was so gratified. Uh, you will find in this particular magazine, and many of our people get it, and I, I really should call you up and, and I, should, I should just check and see. You should read this from cover to cover. If you get this magazine, read it from cover to cover. No church can be strong that does not understand the doctrine of ecclesiastical, that's church-wise, and personal separation. And the first statement in the magazine is profound. It's a separation, honoring the distinction between good and evil. We're living in an age where even in the churches, the difference between good and evil has been rubbed out. Tremendous problem when we cannot define good and evil and we don't know the difference between the two. And when we do know the difference, then we need to honor that distinction and we need to be on the right side. So, if you will, tremendously important magazine. It covers various, various aspects of how churches and individuals in the church, how they should understand separating from wrong doctrine, from wrong denominations, wrong mission boards, things that are going on uh, in the name of Christ but really are not true to his word or to his gospel. So, very, very important issue, and every leader in our church should read this. Maybe I'll check with you on Thursday night and see what's going on. But this is good. This is good material, good material, well presented, and it's biblical. It is thoroughly biblical and is balanced. It's balanced. They don't go off the deep end on one end or the other. It's right down the line with biblical truth, and that's where we want to be. How to live and minister in an aggressively pagan age, and this is not possible without an unmovable foundation. It's not possible without an unmovable foundation. The first point in this outline is a personal knowledge of God. A personal knowledge of God. Now, you'll notice the word personal because there's an academic knowledge of God. But then there comes a personal knowledge of God. John 17, Jesus said in his prayer, this is life eternal. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Now that word know is the Greek word to know by experience. There are, are two or three different Greek words that indicate knowledge. 
Uh, this one is to means to know by experience that they might know by experience that they might know you by experience. And then you'll notice the only true God. The word true there is the Greek word for genuine. The, the word for genuine. This indicates that there are other gods that are not genuinely gods. Isaiah 40 talks about that. Wood, stone, metal. Uh, people, people fabricate gods. And by the way, anybody that has a fabricated god in any religion, these things are fabricated in the image of man or the image of other things, but they don't represent God. They represent the, the thoughts of man about God. So it's very interesting. You can look at the gods that are fabricated and you can find out what people think about God, but that doesn't mean that that is who God is. These are not genuine gods at all. They are fabrications of God, that they may know you the only genuine God. And then you'll know Jesus Christ, that whom you have sent, a personal knowledge of God. Many people will give testimony to the fact in fact, I remember in my earlier years, uh, I, I had an academic knowledge of God even as a child. I, I knew all about God. I knew all about Jesus Christ. I, I knew that he was the Savior of the world and that, that he died for my sins. Uh, but I didn't know him because I had never received him as my Savior. There's a tremendous difference between an academic knowledge. You, you ask somebody, you're going to heaven? Well, I, I, I believe all the right things. Yeah. Well, you believe all the right things, but the problem is... What about your sin? You believe all the laws, but you don't keep them all. And this is very problematic. To know God personally is only done by receiving Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. And if you've not done that, I beg of you, you need to do that today. A personal knowledge of God is absolutely foundational. You and I are in an age that is hostile to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> They don't mind prayers. This, this again, uh, we, we, our Fundamental Baptist Fellowship has a chaplain's agency. And the chaplains are at the forefront of all of this political correctness that comes into government. And, and, and they, they were under threat of losing their, losing their rank and losing their position in the military simply if they would, in a public, in a public forum, pray in the name of Jesus Christ. But you see, you and I are taught, we believe with all our hearts, there's only one name in which you can pray. Only one name in which you can be saved. That's Jesus Christ. Now, this gets very personal, if you please, okay? Very personal, if you please. Do you know him? A personal knowledge of God, to where God is a living reality. Your life has been transformed by his saving power. And you have a personal relationship with him. And I've taken an example of this from the Old Testament. A man by the name of Enoch. And we read of him in Genesis chapter 5. Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Now we all know about Methuselah. Methuselah lived to the ripe old age. He died prematurely, we say, <laughs> at the age of 969 years. Uh, he's the oldest, oldest recorded uh, life of a human being uh, in, in, in human history of which we have any knowledge. By faith, uh, I'm sorry, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years, and he begat Methuselah, this man that lived that long. But Enoch did not live that long. You will notice that Enoch walked with God. 
After he begat Methuselah 300 years, begat sons and daughters, all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now you'll notice that two times in the text in Genesis, it says that Enoch walked with God. Now in this chapter in Genesis, you, you have... You have the line of Seth that is that is being delineated in, in a genealogy from Seth to Noah, and uh, this this is a godly line. Now you had you had another line. You had Cain's line uh, in the previous chapter, which was a disaster. So we have in the background of cha Genesis chapter five, we have two civilizations that are that are growing and developing at that time. One is a very pagan, godless culture. And one is a culture that has a knowledge of God, but when we get to Noah, even they, even they are not loyal and true to their knowledge of God. Because we have, out of all of the line of Seth, we have only eight that enter the ark. This is an amazing phenomenon. But you will notice that when it says Enoch walked with God, that's a tremendously significant statement, because his walk with God was not in a friendly environment. He's the seventh from Adam. By the time he, he was living, things were getting very, very bad. Now, you and I are living in, a, in an aggressively pagan age. Enoch was too. And my challenge to you as a believer today is to keep step with God and not the age in which you're living. Amen. That's my challenge to you. We are not to keep step with the morals of the age, the music of the age, the clothing of the age. The recreation of the age, and that doesn't mean some things aren't legitimate. But basically, we live in a very wicked age. It, 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 when I'm looking for repentance in our country, I'm seeing very little or none. We're looking forward to getting back to normal, which means we're going to desecrate the Lord's day. We're going to, we're going to invite the music into our homes that dishonors God and morality. We're going to make friends with an entertainment industry that hates God and promotes immorality. And godlessness, not so good. Enoch walked with God. Now, when we get to Noah, we find the same statement. Noah walked with God. So, may I ask you, how are you walking? How are you walking? Now, you can complain about the consequences of the politics that we're seeing take place in America today. And it's really not... This, what we're seeing really is the consequence of years of corruption. This didn't happen overnight. This didn't happen last week. This didn't happen last week. And by the way, if you want to ask questions about anything that's going on in Washington, ask this about anything and everything. What's taking place this week, are they doing it for the glory of God? Was last week done for the glory of God? If it was not, it was an abomination. And if what's done this next week is not done specifically for the glory of God, it is as much an abomination as what happened last week. Right. God is the foundation of everything. His glory is the ultimate goal of all legitimate civilization. Did you hear me? The glory of God is the goal of all legitimate civilization. And if I look at Washington, D.C., almost nothing is being done for the glory of God. That means it's all wicked. Because when you throw God out of his universe, you can't say that you're good. There's no goodness that eliminates Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? There's no goodness that eliminates Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Period. 
period. It's all of it corrupt. It's all of it wicked because God is missing. And that's why it is as rotten as it is. Because God has been taken out of it. So now, what happened to Enoch? Well, Enoch was one of those two in biblical history that didn't die. Enoch and Elijah. Two uh, very special men. But Enoch is 365 years. He's not even halfway through his lifespan, according to the lifespans in chapter 5 of Genesis. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Uh, it's interesting. It, it means to be snatched up or to, removed, to be removed out of the scene, or he was changed in his location. Uh, he was taken up so that he would not see death. King James says, translated, it, it means to be moved to another place. Uh, so that he would not see death, and was not found. Now that's very interesting, that's a passive verb, and it means they were looking for him. This was, this was another phenomenon, they, they were looking all over for him. He was not being found, which indicates, I don't know how many people were looking for him, searching, I don't know how long they searched. I remember, if, if you remember the record of Elijah, when he was taken into heaven, uh, by a whirlwind. The chariot didn't take him. The chariot divided the whirlwind. The windstorm took him into heaven. And then, they, then the prophet said, we've got to look. He might have been dropped on the mountain somewhere. And they went and looked and searched for him, but, but he was not found. And so Enoch was not being found. Um, and notice, he obtained the witness. He, he had this testimony before being taken up that he was pleasing to God. Man, if you want an epitaph on your tombstone when you die, that would be probably as good as it comes. He was pleasing to God. God liked his life. God delighted in his life. God, <coughs> excuse me, God looked at his life and said, I like that. That delights my heart. Oh, that we would have a heart to please the Lord. But Enoch was more than just a godly man in his own personal walk. He had more than a private testimony. He had a public testimony. We read about it in Jude chapter 1. Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince. And that word convince is that Greek word elenko. It means to convict. It means to powerfully, to powerfully take the truth of wrongness and convince them that they are wrong. To convince, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they've done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things, hard speeches, King James says, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Boy, this sounds like CNN to me. It really does. This is Enoch's description of the culture in which he lived. So he was. <clears throat> he was a prophet. He prophesied. He was somebody who gave a message to his generation of ungodly pagans. Notice, ungodly deeds done in ungodly ways. Harsh things ungodly sinners have spoken against God. Absolutely amazing. The arrogance that prevailed in Enoch's day. So, listen, listen, listen. Why are we so surprised that when you throw God out of the public schools, and we did that, now we did that in the, in the 1950s and 60s. That's a long time ago. We threw him out of the colleges and universities before that. 
We've thrown them out of public life. We've replaced anything of any moral character with ungodly, perverse character in the entire entertainment universe. universe. That's been done. That started in the 1920s. And this has been going on for a hundred years now. And then we, we are shocked. We are shocked at what we see. This is absolutely amazing to me. How can you sow sin and reap righteousness? <laughs> it won't happen. It won't happen. So we have people who, who, who have grown up in kindergarten and they have been taught immorality in the sexual realm starting in kindergarten. This has been going on for years. And we're surprised that people approve abortion and they approve uh, all of the perverse things that adultery is as common as, as, as dessert at dinner. And, and we're surprised about this? Come on. Come on. We are living in an age that is no different than the age in which Enoch lived. And what did Enoch do? <laughs> well, he modified because he didn't want to offend sinners and he wanted his message to be palatable. So he changed his message and his methods so, so, that, so that he could have a larger church. <laughs> Well, I doubt he had any congregation by the time he got done. He walked with God. Amen. He kept step with God. God hated sin and he hated sin. Wow. God rejected the ways of the devil and he rejected the ways of the devil. The passions of the flesh, the morals of the day. Enoch was on God's side of every issue. See? Now, if you're on God's side of every issue, you'll be living a separated life. You don't have to try to be separated. The ways of God separate you. The works of God separate you. The Word of God separates you. Why do you want to bring this devilish music into your home? Why do you want to dress like, like, like streetwalkers and prostitutes? The fashion industry is doing nothing but creating clothing for prostitutes. That's what it's for. Exhibitionists. It's modern society, drunkenness, drugs, the whole bit. So why do you want to imitate the ways of those people? Why do you want to be popular with people that hate God? Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. And he did it in a very perverse age, a very perverse age. There was no bending with him because God was right. He loved God. He was on God's side. And if you didn't love God... You couldn't tell him what to do. So here we have Enoch describing his culture, and this is in his preaching. I don't know to how many he preached. I don't know if they threw beer cans at him. I don't know if they had beer cans, but I don't know what they did in those days. But I will promise you one thing, that Enoch was a very lonely man. And if you're going to walk with God, you are going to be lonely in an age when very few people are walking with God. Now those that walk with God will soon find you and they will be your friends. And that's why we need to get together as a church congregation and we need to warm the fires of fellowship between God's people who love him and love his ways and desire to walk with him. Amen. Now, the word of God is the only inspired record that we have. I want to say that if you believe what you read on the internet, you are in for a fall. Even conservative websites, truth and being careful with doing your homework and investigating and making sure that what you put there is right, that almost doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. 
on any side of the discussion. Mm -hmm. To me, it doesn't matter whether it's liberal or conservative. My question is, is there integrity in the process of getting information to me? And in most cases, there is not. Very few people who are putting out information are careful about the information they're making sure it's truthful. There is only one place you can go where you can be absolutely 100% sure that what's there is right and true. And that's the Word of God. Now, there are lies in the Bible. Be careful. The devil lied to Eve, and that lie is recorded in the Bible. But everything the Bible affirms is true. It is true that the devil lied to Eve and that his words were lies. Okay? Just getting a little technical for those people who are caught up in this intellectual nonsense. Now, the Word of God is true. It is reliable. And as we go through this message, we're going to talk about the fact God <laughs> really, He invented, He created what we call the ages. This is history attached to His mechanical creation. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the fact is, you can't know what creation is about. You have no idea. You will not learn it from the scientists because that is only known by revelation. Science cannot tell you who you are and why you are here and who God is. Right. Mm -hmm. Science can't tell you that. Right. That's revelation. There's only one way that you can get information that you know is absolutely reliable. Only one way you can, with absolute certainty, say, I know that heaven is my home when I die. It's the Word of God. Only one way. If God says that your sins are forgiven, and this, this is the wonderful thing, if God says your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. Now, if God says your sins are not forgiven, they aren't. It doesn't matter. What else? So, we look to the Word of God as a sure foundation. And we go back to the foundational statements that we have in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, every writing, is God-breathed. And therefore it is profitable for what we believe, for correcting our life, for telling us what to do and how to live. And it, it, it completes our life. It, it, is, it makes our life adequate in serving God in the age in which we live and equips us for every good work. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired by God. It is literally God-breathed. Peter affirmed this, knowing first no prophecy of the scripture is of any private, that's any personal interpretation, any personal origination. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, literally carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. So God has given us a sure foundation. Absolutely amazing. I have lived as a Christian for many, many years now. Haven't added it up recently to subtract 8 from 80 and what have you got? 72 years. 72 years. And God's word has never come short. Amazing how science is being exalted in our culture today. Science has become a god to us, really. Science is going to save us from COVID. No, only God and his resources will save us from COVID. Amen. Appreciated Pastor Pelletier on Wednesday night talking about science. Now, he mentioned on Wednesday night, and it is so true, if, if I took the science textbooks from my high school education and tried to get them introduced into curriculum <laughs> in a modern high school, 
I would be laughed to, to scorn. Why? Why? Because science really is not science. Science is changing. Science is changing. And I'm talking to a younger generation. If you put your confidence in the day, science of today, tomorrow, it will change. That's right. Even very basic science, and, and people are going to improve before it's all done uh, on some of, the, some of the most highly access, uh, accepted scientific theories that there are. So, science changes. And if science changes, did you hear what I just said? Science changes, and if science changes, science ain't science. In fact, one of the basic axioms of science is that nothing is ever settled for certainty forever. Everything is open to further investigation and further discussion. So we have to have a point of reference for life. In other words, if you are a scientist, that is, you're scientifically oriented, you are a person who is living by faith. Living by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the latest interpretations of scientific observations. That's how you're living. Your confidence is in the latest interpretations, not the latest observations. The observations, by the way, are improving. Also, I've been reading about the new telescopes. They've got a telescope that's out, going to out-Hubble, out-Hubble. And the images in Hubble are going to become old history. They've got one they're getting ready to put up a new satellite that they're getting ready to put up in space. They've got one, in fact, on Earth here that is even supposed to be clearer, cleaner in some things than Hubble, even with the atmosphere of Earth between us and the pictures. So now that's the latest thing that's coming. And you put your confidence in that for your eternal soul, and when one improves on the other, then they change the outcome and they're changing their theories. There's a lot of discussion about black hole, dark matter, and black holes. And they're trying to figure this thing out, and yet they speak with such absolute certainty about evolution, which nobody has ever in the scientific world seen happen. Not once. So now, we go to the Word of God. It is our foundation. We are not going to bow to pagans and their science. Now you say, Pastor, do you believe in science? Well, I believe that there ought to be investigation. I believe... There is a lot that has happened that is absolutely wonderful because of scientific investigations and because of the works of, 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 of quantum physics and, 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 and mathematics and, and biology and, and all, all of the various forms of science. I'm not against that, but to say that they have the final eternal word on what humanity is about, about what is right, what is wrong... And they're going to guide us through the mess we are in in our, in our country today and around the world. We're going to look to them. They, they are going to be our God. Not so. Paul said to Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word. The only authentic source of information about our existence, that is the truth, is to be proclaimed. Preach the word. Reprove, that is, convict, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now the problem is the time is going to come when they cannot endure sound doctrine. This is amazing. They won't tolerate it. They are going to change their beliefs according to what they want to hear. That basically is what Paul is saying in this text. 
This is happening in the religious world. It's happening in the secular world. It's happening in the pagan age in which we live. They are not willing. They are not willing to hear the truth because they do not agree with it. And of course, they believe that truth to be true has to be something with which they agree. And by the way, truth is not defined with most people. Truth is not defined as that with which they agree. It has nothing to do with reality. So we're living in an aggressively pagan age. And if we do not have a rock, a solid rock foundation underneath us, if we do not have a personal knowledge of God, a personal relationship with God, which means we are committed to walk with God, if we do not have the Word of God, then we are in trouble. Now here's some rich study, and I don't know how far I can go on this on page 3 of your notes. In Genesis 1.1, we have an interesting statement, and I've looked at this time and time again and just, just kind of been amazed and wondered at it. There is a process in creation, and you have in Genesis chapter 1, you have, you have seven days. Six days of creation and one day of rest. But the process of creation is very, very interesting. God did not create, in Genesis 1-1, a full-blown creation. That is interesting. Also, if you read the scriptures carefully, you will, you will read that the angels, the sons of God, shouted for joy when they witnessed the creation. So, before the creation of the earth, there must have been a host of angelic beings already in existence. And when they saw what God was doing, they said, Woohoo! And heaven just, heaven exploded with praise and wonder and awe as the angels saw the splendor of God's created work. Absolutely amazing. Charles Darwin wasn't there. So in the beginning, we begin with God, and God created the heaven and the earth. But you will notice. A strange statement. The earth was without form and void. That is, it was formally, formless and void. And you will notice what, what prevailed. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness was over the surface of the water. This is an amazing thing that is happening here. God is putting things together one piece at a time. Now, is your mind awake yet? Have I put you asleep? I hope not. God is putting his creation together one piece at a time. And every day a new thing is done and accomplished and there is a desire because God wants a, an, an, an end result. There is a design. That is what accomplishes God's end result. There is a purpose in everything that God does. So God begins with... The heavens and the earth, the earth is without form and void. It's, it's formless and void. Darkness is over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God is moving over the surface of the waters. And one day at a time, God puts this creation together systematically. And with the most complex being, man, on the sixth day. All right? Six days reserved for, for the most complex being of all of God's creation uh, as far as the heavens and the earth are concerned. Uh, now, the angels are there in place, we think, before that. So, God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a design for everything. Now, let's get real specific about this. 
I'm looking at the clock. I may have to come back to this next week. God's plan for the ages. Now, <laughs> I think most of you have heard about uh, computers. Most of you have one, okay? Now, computers come now complete with hardware and software. I remember, oh, maybe 150 years ago, I remember when computers first came out that you got the hardware, but it didn't do anything. It had a processor, it had the processor, it had all the electronics, it had, the, 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 it had a disk drive, the first one, I think, at least the first one I had had a disk drive. But it wouldn't do anything until you told it what to do, so you had to program it. You had hardware, but the hardware would go nowhere until you put in the software. And the software told the computer what to do. The so the, it was the software that gave the computer plan and purpose and usefulness. Okay? All right? Now, you have two words in the Greek language that describe the created world and universe. One is the word cosmos. And the word cosmos generally covers the, all of creation, but specifically it's the hardware. You have the heavens. You have the earth. But why do you have the heavens? Why do you have the earth? Why? Why make stars? Why make galaxies? Why make a, a, a sphere called a planet called the Earth? Why locate it just a certain distance from the sun with the moon around it? Why do all of this? Why? It was formless and void. It had no purpose at this. It fulfilled no purpose at this point in time. So God began to put the pieces together, and He began to download the software. One day at a time, he downloaded the software. And the software had to do with what the hardware was designed to do. Now your life, your body, your soul, and your spirit are the hardware. But your new life in Jesus Christ is the software. Hear me. You can live with absolute, mechanically a life. You can go through the motions, experience all the experiences, and you can, you can have none of the plans and purposes of God in your life. You can be absent, vacuous of divine purpose. Ecclesiastes describes it as vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. Emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. It's without meaning. There's no plan, there's no purpose, there's no end in mind. And so in Hebrews 1, you will notice the highlighted text there concerning Jesus Christ, by whom also God made the worlds. And that word worlds is the ages. The ages is what takes place in time. It's the history. It's what God intends. It's the plans and purposes of God for putting this starry host out here, this host of trillions of galaxies, and, and doing all that he does in nature and creating the planet Earth, he has done it, and it is a man-centered creation, according to the Bible. And man is the, focal, is the focal point of God's purpose for planet Earth. And man is given a kingdom on planet Earth. He has assigned the works of God to the ways of God. What is he going to do with this? What is he going to do with this? These are the ages. You see, your life assumes no divine purpose until you are born again. Your life is not complete until you are completed by new birth. You are born dead in trespasses and sin. And being dead in trespasses and sin, you are alive to sin and you are dead to God. 
And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become dead to sin and alive to God. And that's where this word ionos, the plans, the purposes of God become a living reality in your life. Now, I need to stop here. But the ionos of God, it goes beyond just God's plan for your personal life. God has designed that you would show up in human history at a certain point in time, in a certain place, for a certain purpose. That means where you are working today in 2021, January 10. That means that there is specific, specific design and plan and purpose for your being there. And everything that is happening to you and happening to me in this pagan age in which we live is a part of the Ion or the Ionos of God. Yeah, this is no accident. We are not victims of anything. Right. God has put us in place in a special time in a special way. I've got to end there and we'll have to pick this up next week. But it is important that you and I, we, we, we're not complaining and saying, Oh, me! Oh, me! Listen, this virus is here by divine appointment. Hear me. Hear me. Worldwide by divine appointment. Our day and our age, what happens in Washington, D.C., it's, it's the age God has put purpose into this whole thing. And his people need to be walking with him. We walk with him and then divine purpose is accomplished. It doesn't matter. We're not living for the age in which we live. We're living in the age for the purposes of God. Get it. Get it. You're a man on a mission. You're a woman on a mission. You're a boy on a mission. You're a girl on a mission. May the Spirit of God touch our hearts. We're going to sing in just a moment a wonderful hymn. How firm a foundation. And that particular hymn deals with the trials and the struggles through which we go. God's word must be foundational. How are you going to survive in an aggressively pagan age? You will not do so unless you are anchored in your heart and in your mind and in your life. You're anchored in the word of God. Receive Jesus today. These are days when you need to you need to resolve that your life is going to be lived on God's terms and not yours. That your sins are wrong, God is right, you are wrong, and that you are going to live on God's terms and receive His Son, Jesus Christ. You can't have God without having Jesus. You're going to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. You simply pray to Him and call out, Lord Jesus, save me today. I receive you as my Savior, my Redeemer, and as my Lord. Come into my life Save me today from my sin. And he will do exactly that. Father, by the Spirit of God, touch and change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.